You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Wednesday, the 21st of December, just four days until Christmas. More importantly, if you're a racing fan in the UK, Ireland, or indeed in the United States or in many other places in the world, it's five days until Boxing Day or St. Stephen's Day or whatever you call the 26th of December, which is ordinarily a feast of racing. This in this country is no ordinary year because we've been held up by the weather for so long that everybody wants to run their horses and with a, a good sighter of the entries yesterday as I welcome in Racing Post senior writer Lee Motter said it looks as though um, we're going to have a feast over the Christmas period and not just on our dinner tables. No, quite right, quite right. It should be um, fantastic, Nick. Um, and we're also going to hopefully get racing on on proper jumping ground as well prior to the, the weather impacting the staging of those meetings at Cheltenham and Asker. A theme had been the quickness of the ground this jump season, but Kempton are talking about maybe even having soft ground for the King George, which will be the, the highlight of a, of a superb boxing day, not just at, at Kempton. Uh, quality grade one action at Leopardstown, plus the potential first sighting of a jumps of high definition. Um, and Weatherby, are set to stage if some of the the entries actually run the race they will have a belter of a roland merrick this season and on top of all that at kempton we have i think what most people are describing as the most exciting jumper in trading even allowing what galapan Deschamps did at punches town this week that is constitution hill in the christmas hurdle so it really is going to be a christmas cracker well, I think first things first, it looks as though it's going to be a bigger field for the King George than we, we thought. I mean, the only undecided that I can see at the moment is a Ahoy Senor connection still tossing up between the King George and the and the Roland Merrick. And I think they'll, they'll still be agonising over that for a little while. The other one that had an obvious choice was Royal Pagai between the King George and the Welsh National, for which he would have carried top weight. Joe Chambers is racing manager to owner Rich Ritchie. Joe, which way have you decided to jump? Uh, we are going to run the King George. Um, the Roland Merrick was an option as well, I think, as Venetia may have mentioned on a well-known racing daily podcast um, not too far, not too long ago. Uh, but we just felt, you know, while we've no issue running him off top weight, as we've demonstrated in the past, if that was the right thing to do first time up this season over three, five-round Chepstow, when he could go back to what appears to be softening ground at Kempton, where he has won, uh, and a flatter track and that as a starting point for the season um, prize money considered as well which goes a little deeper than the Roland Merrick does uh, that's where we decided to go so we didn't put him in the Roland Merrick yesterday and we will take him out of the Welsh National and we will uh, set our sights for Kempton on Monday and of course given the fact Lompresse is running in the race you're going to need to find yourself a jockey have you got one? well Tom Skudemore won at him before so that would seem a natural um uh, place to go to if he's available but we kind of decided on Saturday that we'd worry about that come this coming weekend. Okay so very exciting I know how much Rich and Susanna really enjoy the whole Kempton Boxing Day scene and Faheen was a winner of the Christmas Hurdle there a few years ago to what extent was that um, informative in the decision? 
not at all. Um, it was more about the horse and trying to get out this season and you know get him on the road to um, wherever we want to go with him, which will probably be Haydock again at the end of January for the Peter Marsh and try and win a third one of those in a row. Um, but you know we lost a bit of time in November with him with a, with his wither, which now seems to be under control. And Venetia's happy with him; he's in good form, and we'll go from there. Good news! You're going to have an absolute stack of runners um, over the over the Christmas period. I'll rattle through them quickly. I mean, Lossy Mouth's going to take a lot of beating in the in the juvenile at Leopardstown. I would have thought. Yeah, she's got a penalty to carry there, and Willie's obviously got Blood Destiny, and I see Cougars in there as well. So. Uh, if she is still okay and Willie's still happy with her closer to the 26th, um, that would seem a natural next spot for her. And um, hopefully she can come forward from that. She did look pretty exciting. and We were excited when we secured her back in at the end of March, beginning of April from Otoy. And uh, she does look to have a turn of foot. And I suspect um, Leopardstown will have a bit of decent ground. So um, that might suit her as well. Uh, Chapeau de Soleil was the biggest talking horse in the world before being beaten in, in his bumper uh, at Fairy House, but he, he hung all the way. Have they ironed that problem out? Uh, I think so. Willie has mentioned earplugs and a couple of other things. Patrick thought he was going to go straight on when they were supposed to swing from home. Uh, he's never done that. He didn't do it in his point. He hasn't done it when he's been away at Thurless or anywhere else. Uh, so he will have entries in a number of bumpers over Christmas. Um, I expect him to take up one of those, be it the 26th, the 28th, uh, or even the winner's race on the 29th, uh, where I suspect you'll get an entry for later today. And welcome back to the stage, Chacan Poursois, the forgotten horse. Is there is there still enough to be excited about there, do you think? Well, he doesn't have many miles on the clock, and he he didn't run that bad at Punchestown, I don't think, against an Ergamine uh, last year. And, um, you know, he clearly likes Leopardstown, and... You know, we're looking forward to getting him going. It, look, he's the elder statesman of the two-mile chasers. Um, do we want to go out and trip this season? I suspect we'll try it at some point. But, you know, we haven't had many runners so far yet this season. And, and Willie hasn't either. And just looking at some of the entries uh, that he has made for the 26th and 27th yesterday, there's an awful lot of horses mm. I've never heard of. So we're not <laughs> the only ones in uh, close in, 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 no. in that camp. Uh, so we have to get him started, and I suspect we'll have one or two others in the race, but uh, I'd be quite hopeful that uh, this could probably be his best chance of securing a grade one over two miles, I think, this year, just given who the, the opposition are on both sides of the Irish Sea. Yeah, we spoke to Willie Mullins yesterday about two of your stars, Sharjah and, and Vauban. He said he's trying to find a, a four-year-old's or forecoming five-year-old's opportunity with Vauban, and, and Sharjah will go back to, to, to try and win his race. How do you read Sharjah versus Stateman? I think if he's ever going to turn the tables on State Man, it'll be at Leopardstown uh, at Christmas time. Um, he'd seem to blow up um, uh, at Punchestown, and and it was quite pleasing how well he stayed on. And I know Patrick was disappointed on the day, but kind of a few days later, a lot more positive uh, about him. And I mean, it'd be a hell of an achievement if he was to win five of these in a row. Um, and uh, I, I do think State Man is probably a coming force as well. Uh, as an animal uh, in the division whether anything's going to get to um, Mr Buckley's animal uh, I don't know but uh, I think if we're ever going to turn the tables it'll be at Christmas I'd be quite hopeful that he'll get closer to Stateman at least around this track on that ground this time of year and having had a run behind him Boban there's a four year old only hurdle on the 20th 
we've had many odds on shots beaten in that and uh, it's a little bit of a graveyard for, for odds on shots so um, it doesn't fill me with huge confidence but you know he had an awful lot thrown at him last year uh, we bought him off the flat where he was on the go as a, uh, very early on in the season and Willie you know took his time with him uh, early on and but then had to get stuck into him for March uh, for Cheltenham and then on to Punchestown so it doesn't bother us at all that he's taken his time with him this season and uh, as and when he's ready to run him uh, we're happy to, to to let him make that decision and you've got a horse called Haddo running this afternoon at Ferry House yeah he had some decent form last year behind Flamebearer um, who was probably a bit disappointing yesterday and uh uh, also behind El Fabiolo, if I'm not mistaken, at Punchestown, um, and he ran quite well. He's run well at Fairy House. He's um, he's won there. Uh, his schooling has been uh, pretty good. We hoped he'd make a better chaser, uh, which you know, uh, on homework it seems as though he will. Uh, he's getting a little bit of weight from one or two others, and you know, as long as he gets the trip, it's you know, just given the the weather in Ireland and the lack of opportunities, he probably wanted to start over two miles as two five. Um, he could just be a bit keen for it, but if he does get the trip, I'd be quite hopeful he'll um, he'll put his hand up and uh, give us a good showing and hopefully get Christmas off to a good start. Joe Chambers, their racing manager, to Rich and Susanna Ritchie, who've got such a, a lot of good horses to be running over the Christmas period. And I'm sure they'll all be excited, as will we, that Royal Pagai, who put up one of the weight-carrying performances of last season at Haydock, will be taking his chance in the King George, giving Venetia Williams a sporting second string to her bow and a horse that is worthy of significant respect as well. But clearly, her first string is Lompresse, last season's star-staying novice. And Lee, he adds rich luster to this race. Had we had quicker ground, he almost certainly would not have gone to Kempton. The joint owner Randy Edwards was saying in the racing post today, it's not his ideal track, but given the ground conditions, it makes sense to run him in the race. And it, I think he does now set the standards. He's standard, he's, he's usurped Brave Man's game in the sponsor's betting, Labrook sponsor, King George. And I can understand why. I think he's a better horse on paper. He's actually quite a significantly better horse on paper. Um, and I think Brave Man's game, as good as he is, has the Nichols factor built into his prize. Paul Nichols has got such an outstanding record in the race. We'll have three runners again this year with Hitman and the previous winner, Frodon. But I think that if you look at the the lineup, I think Lompresse is the horse to beat. We had a nice tease of some of the stars that are going to line up in Ireland from, from Joe a few moments ago. But what of high definition? What? Where, how would you contextualise this for a for a global audience, Lee, in terms of high-class flat horses going going hurdling? Um, well, it's very, very rare you get a horse like this going over hurdles. There's no point pretending that high definition um, was the flat horse that we all hoped he would be. You know, when, when he was a, a two-year-old and he was very impressive in the, the Barrisford Stakes, he looked like a horse who would be winning umpteen group ones over a mile and a half. Now, it turned out that wasn't what high definition was. And he was a, a, a very good horse on the flat, but he, he didn't win races. You know, he, he looked pretty one-paced on occasions, so much so that you wonder as a, as a novice hurdler whether he actually would have the toe for a, a supreme novices and whether he actually might be better suited by eventually going over further over hurdles. But he was very good on the flat. The last time he raced on the flat was in the, the champion stakes at Ascot, on, on, uh, sorry, in the, in the Cumberland Lodge stakes at Ascot at uh, the start of October. On that occasion, he ran 
with an official rating of 117. At his height, he was rated 119. So he's actually, he's held his mark pretty well over the years. He is a very, very smart horse. And because he was a bit of an underperformer eventually over flat, in some ways, he's all the more intriguing um, now that he goes over hurdles. And he's also a bit of a... Um, a harking back to the the past when you know we had champion hurdles won by horses like Alderbrook and Royal Gate and Crebensis, horses who weren't just decent handicappers going from the flat to, to hurdles. They were proper high-class group performers. We all know now that one of the real problems with with hurdling, and particularly that that champion hurdle division, is we don't get those very high-class flat horses making the conversion to hurdles because generally that they have so many more valuable, lucrative options on the flat, whether that's for the racing owners or to be sold to racing in the Middle East or, or Australia. Even your weather programme um, over here offers horses opportunities on the flat that wouldn't have existed back in the day when the likes of Alderbrook and Crebensis and Sir Royal Gate were were mopping up high-class hurdle races. So it's a really interesting thing that they've done. I can see why as well, because he's owned by the Coolmore partners who realistically don't need um, another uh, standing recruit of this order. So give him a go over hurdles, see what he does, and there will therefore be, if he runs on uh, on Monday, there'll be an awful lot of interest in the 12 o'clock at Leopardstown, the all-about-Sunday maiden hurdle, which will be all about all a high definition. And there will be those, Lee. There will be those who say you cannot teach an old dog new tricks and even some high-class flat horses have really not cut the mustard if they're a little bit idle over hurdles. There's nothing, nothing idle, far from it, about 10-year-old not-so-sleepy who's run just the 60 times under rules and is still performing at grade one level over hurdles and at a very, very high level on the flat, as evidenced by that excellent effort when third of 21 in the Cesarowicz at Newmarket in October a race he's run in countless times and has run really well in countless times as well what a superstar he's been once a winner of a derby trial in his classic generation seven and a half years later he's now trying something different again he's going up to three miles over hurdles in grade one company and he could win it as well the rescheduled long walk at uh, at Kempton Park on Boxing Day and it's always just as entertaining to check in with his trainer, Huey Morrison. And I began uh, by putting it to him that this must have been a horse that had given a lot of fun down the years. Well, he, he does try us. In, he's, um, he's been great entertainment, but he does try us at home, I can assure you, because he doesn't necessarily uh, go where you want him to go. Uh, and he doesn't necessarily do what you want him to do. But um, he, he's more human than we are sometimes. It's pretty remarkable. Have you have you ever come come close to a horse like him in terms of uh, of how he still manages to race whilst appearing to expend so much extraneous energy doing all sorts of other bits and pieces? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. Because he does it at home every day. You know, he, he can't do it anything without on when he's broken into a canter without a huge amount of enthusiasm. So you, you begin to wonder after about after nine years what he actually has what he's saving for himself or what he has really has under the tank in the tank. <laughs> so he, he's, he's just, he, he's almost as though he's sort of got attention deficit disorder or something. He's always on. He's always on. He's never off. Yeah, he certainly, he certainly, um, 
is fully aware of what he's doing. I think he just gets, you know, he he he's probably more intelligent than one gives him due. But you know, when he's racing, it looks like he's doing a lot more than he is. You know, all the jockeys often say, "No, it's not. It's not nearly as bad as it looks." When he's sort of chucking his head around, I think it's a sort of sort of bit of fun pretending. You know, he's he's obviously having a bet on himself, having a because uh, everybody else has laid him on the exchanges. I suspect <laughs> he he's done all sorts of unorthodox things. How how many Cesarowiches has he run in and been placed in now? A few. Brighton, I think he was third this year. So uh, always, all always off to sort of similar rating. So you know that run this year certainly gave us enthusiasm to carry on uh, uh, as long as possible, as long as he wants to do it, really, because he he showed he 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 could do it. This you know he showed as good as ever this year on the flat, really. Yeah, um, so he, he, he stays two and a quarter miles on the flat, or, or seems to. He's got loads and loads of good form over two miles o- over hurdles. He was a D-stakes winner all the way back when he was a three-year-old. In I don't know which prime minister was in number 10 then, but we must have had about five since then. Um, three miles over hurdles now. Do you do you think that's, that's probably what he wants? Um, I think it's more of a, let's uh, have a look, really. No, no, I... <clears throat> I, I, you know, to be honest, I suspect that you know two and a half miles might be his his trip now. But who knows? You know, Ascot's quite sharp. Um, you know, he is a, he he's as as we as we discussed, he's very unpredictable. And and is it is it a case with him? The, the the rule book just goes out of the window. Where you might campaign a horse just gets chucked in the bin, and you just you just sort of take it as it comes. Yeah, well, I think we're we're, we're quite boring in in this country, aren't we? We decide as uh, trainers, owners, managers, we decide on a trip for a horse and stick to it. Um, if you go to say Australia, they're running two mile horses over seven furlongs part part of the season. And they're running well over that trip, which it's which is a you know in, 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 interesting that we don't do you know we don't do that much of that here. We don't experiment. We're all you know the tendency I think where trainers are so under pressure to deliver that they're terrified of getting it wrong. So the experimental book goes out the window. Well, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think we're we're far too hidebound by what distance, particularly with jump sources as well. I think most of them could do two miles, three miles, anything in between most of the time. Well, you, you know, you only have to look like Desi and Corte Star, who are you know top the best two miles chasers, and uh, and then they came out and you know won gold cups over over an extended three miles. So. You know, it's, I think it's worth having a try with a horse who, who who will find it difficult to beat the likes of Constitution Hill. But he might not find it difficult to beat Champ Paisley Park and, and Goshen and Co. I can't wait to see him at, at Kemp's on Boxing Day. Huey, what are you hoping for for Christmas? What am I hoping for? for I'd, I, I've got to the age that actually I don't really want anything for Christmas. <laughs> maybe... maybe, maybe the world of racing to understand that <laughs> all we need is decent prize money and everything will flow out of it. 
if the powers that be can't do that, they shouldn't be there any longer. I think I'd like to see the whole start off with a clean sheet of paper of the of the how we run our sport. Really, I I've I probably only got another minute or so. But if you can if you if you can get some of that clean sheet filled in a minute, I'm, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, well, I think we just need to revi- revisit who uh, who who owns racing. Really, at the moment, the race courses do, uh, and I think the race courses, I'm afraid, have got lazy. They've had easy money. They've become overinflated by very grand sort of executives uh, within their businesses. With one particular course. Uh, was complaining they weren't going to make any money. Well, some of us haven't made any money for three years and we're looking after 20 staff uh, and actually have to fit the bill with the bank at the end of the day. So I think the race courses actually just don't get it, some of them. Uh, and they've got to work harder for their media rights. And if they were made to work harder, they could give us more. And, you know, the fact that they have very slow to, divul- to, to divulge their income... Is basically illustrates the problem. Really, they don't do it because they don't know what they're doing. We're obviously all you know thrilled. Prize money is going up, but it's not going to make any difference. To be honest, you know, ten percent prize money is not going to make a difference. We need to, we need fifty to a hundred million to go in the sort of middle bracket, the sort of from flat racing to the seventy to the hundred, and that that will just totally reinvent the. The, the business model of the whole industry, I think. Always, always get more than I bargained for, and um, let's let let's keep our fingers crossed that twenty twenty three is horse racing's year. Uh, definitely, something, something, somebody to come out and actually do something about it would be great. Huey Morrison, always, always great value, and looking forward to seeing not so sleepy on Boxing Day. I wonder, Lee Motter said whether it will be Joe Somarez-Smith, the chair of the British Horse Racing Authority, who is Huey Morrison's knight in shining armour. He's certainly got himself a bit longer to bed himself into that role, should he so choose. What's happened at the BHA in the last couple of days? Yeah, it was announced, Nick, um, yesterday that the BHA chair, Joe Somarez-Smith, who in theory would have had to stand down from his position in November next year, having served the maximum amount of time on the BHA board that the BHA's rules and articles would have allowed him to do, he will now actually stay on until 2025. Uh, In some ways, this isn't a surprise. Joe took on the role in June this year after Anna-Marie Phelps decided that she wasn't going to seek another term as BHA chair. But as I say, when Joe came to that role, he did so with, in effect, his employers, the the sports stakeholders, the BHA shareholders, knowing that he had a limited lifespan in the role under the current rules. I think what they have seen is that they appointed Joe for um, a number of reasons, but one of them is he has extensive knowledge of the gaming and gambling sector professionally. We're entering a period where we're expecting, I think in the first week of January for the government's gambling white paper to be uh, published. That process will then go on for a long time. And I think given they've got that on the horizon, given we have just had the, 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 the governance structure review of the BHA, the BHA board now, the ultimate decision-making body in the sport, given that we have got the prospect of significant levy reform 
negotiations with government coming forward as the government prepares to review the levy in the BHA, pushing for that to be changed so that it incorporates uh, best placed by British punters on overseas races and switches from a profits model to a turnover model. Given all those factors, I think the BHA and its shareholders felt that it would be silly to now start looking at replacing the BHA chair at such a crucial time. Yeah, I, I, I get I get all of that from a pragmatic point of view, Lee, and I, I would agree that, that that a change at the moment is probably not what the the doctor ordered the trouble is if you change the articles and change the way you you appoint people what sort of bother are you leaving yourself uh, letting yourself in for further down the road when you, you know you've got a you've got a chair who doesn't have the confidence of his board or or doesn't have the confidence of his or her shareholders you know many years many years hence or even a, a couple of years hence then then you'll be thinking oh dear we shouldn't really have changed the articles just just to maneuver our guy in for another another few years that is entirely um fair nick it's a it's a it's a fair point you make all i I would say on that is that ultimately um the bha chair works at the at the at the 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 behest if you like of, of the shareholders the bha only exists as an entity for as long as the the shareholders allow it to exist, and when we talk about the shareholders, we're talking about the Racehorse Association, the Racehorse Owners Association, the Thoroughbred Breeders Association, and licensed personnel, which brings in jockeys, trainers, and racing staff. Ultimately, the BHA only exists for as long as they want it to exist, and the BHA chair is, is the same thing in the same way that a prime minister can really only survive for as long as the cabinet believes that prime minister should survive so whilst i think what that that point about what would happen in the future if we had a less popular bha chair in the role again i think the pragmatic uh, aspect of that situation would dictate that the chair would end up leaving the role and at this crucial time lee for racing and government racing and westminster there was a reception in parliament on monday night to try and oil the wheels as far as i can i can make out you were there um it was a joint reception hosted by um racing stakeholders if in effect the bha the rca the thoroughbred group and the betting and gaming council they came together um as as host of this event um at the uh in, in the uh, palace of westminster um and it was a, a an interesting affair lots of the great and the good were there. We had some significant um, politicians in there as well. Uh, the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, was cited, although I thought he, he he left pretty darn quick. I didn't think, I don't think he was around there for long. I'm not sure we should read too much into that. Um, Matt Hancock, um, long-standing friend of horse racing um, and star of the jungle, he was there as well. But more importantly, the the Minister responsible for both racing and gambling than the DCMS, Paul Scully, was in attendance. He gave a speech in which he spoke about the the gambling white paper. um, And his overall point was that nobody is going to get everything they want. That was his quote, his his, his address to the room. He stressed his understanding of the very uh, close links between horse racing and gambling. And he sought to, I think, reassure both industries in the room, the racing industry and the gambling industry, that the government would take 
a, a sensible approach to the white paper without actually revealing any hints of, of what will be in the white paper. So I think he, he, he said what the audience almost certainly wanted him to hear. He also touched on, on levy reform as well when uh, commenting that the levy was only 6% of racing's total income in 2022. And that's why alongside both reviews, we want to make sure the betting and racing industries work together to maximise income from other sources as well. A point that the government have made repeatedly that they feel that if they are going to be intervening in the levy, they want to be sure that racing and bookmaking have done all they can to get all they possibly can from their own individual pots before the government intervenes. Uh, and the, the minister also confirmed that the levy review that the government was committed to doing that by 2024. And also, I thought it was interesting that we, we heard from the shadow DCMS minister, Paul, so Paul Scully's opposite number, if you like, from the Labour shadow front bench, Alex Davis-Jones, um, who gave a very good speech herself. He spoke of our friends at the, the BGC. She spoke as someone who has an interest in horse racing. She sounded very much like someone who racing could work with. And I think that is significant as well. Nick, anyone who is listening to this pod uh, from outside the United Kingdom and doesn't follow UK politics closely might not realise the extent to which at the moment in the polls, the, the Labour opposition is enormously clear um, of the, the Conservative Party. If you looked at current polls, you'd be expecting a, a huge Labour majority if we have an election in, in 2025. And therefore... It's important that the, the racing industry and the betting industry have close links to Labour politicians and feel they can work with, with Labour politicians. I think what we heard from Alex Davis-Jones on Monday evening was encouraging in that regard. All right, thank you for the moment. Lee, let's head to Hong Kong now and Jim McGrath. We're in reflective mode in Hong Kong this week. Ten days after the successful Hong Kong international races, we hear that the local stars have come out of Hong Kong's biggest race day in good order. And as we always do in racing, no matter where you are in the world, we're looking ahead. And it does appear there's a very strong chance that Romantic Warrior, winner of the Hong Kong Cup in good style, is going to clash with California Spangle and Golden 60, the 1-2 in the Hong Kong Mile. Trainers don't dodge each other in these parts. You can't afford to. There aren't so many options. They're due to meet in the Group 1 Stewards' Cup over one mile at Sha Tin on January the 29th. What a trio they are. And surprise, surprise, some experts, so-called experts, are hinting that Golden 60 is on the decline. I think that's a bit premature. There's no doubt that Vincent Ho set Golden 60 an enormous task and he was taking back California Spangle all the way to the line. It was an excellent effort in that Hong Kong mile and I wouldn't write him off just yet. As for Romantic Warrior, well, I would say that he is still on the upward climb and it's very, very exciting what the future holds for him in Hong Kong. Well, let's turn to Happy Valley today. We've got nine races on the card and there's a newcomer, a relative newcomer, he's had one start, and that's number 11, Nordic Dragon, in race nine. Now, this horse is on trial for the four-year-old classic series, and if he bolts in the way as he did last start, I think he's going to uh, do uh, uh, have a very, very big future. This is a class three. It's over 1,200 metres, six furlongs, and I go for race nine, number 11, Nordic Dragon, to beat one excellent Piers. 
Now, Zach Burton, I think he can clean up on this card today. Uh, he's got some excellent rides. Uh, I think he's only one race that he doesn't ride in. And I've tipped in to win about four or five of them. A couple of his good ones in race seven. Number five, How Deep Is Your Love? This horse got murdered last start when Ryan Moore tried to improve on him in the home straight. He got knocked down, badly hampered, and he went over the line pretty well hard held. This is his chance to rectify the situation. Race seven, number five, How Deep Is Your Love? Uh, trained by John Size and ridden by Zach Purton to beat number one, HZ Tourbillon. And also in race eight, Zach rides number three, Red Lion. This is where Jamie Carr was flying home in a heat of the International Jockeys Challenge and can, even despite a wide barrier, can get up and win that race eight. So race eight, number three, Red Lion. That's Hong Kong today. Good luck to you all and talk to you next week. Well, if you think your drive home for Christmas is a long one, then spare a thought for the stallions that have been shuttling between hemispheres. Uh, just by way of example, take the four horses that have shuttled back from Australia for, uh, for Dali's stallion operation, Palace Pier, Pinatubo, Tudan Hot and Harry Angel. What a quartet they are, all very exciting young stallions at somewhat varying stages of, of their careers. And it was a first trip down under for Palace Pier first season and a, a first trip also for, for Pinatubo, even though it was a, his second season at Stud. Max Nudd is the head stallion man um, for Dali, uh, Godolphin's breeding operation, and and joins me now. Max, it really is is quite an undertaking. Horses have been shuttling between hemispheres for so long that we get rather rather casual about it. But how big an operation is it is it for you to to arrange all this logistically yeah it's a really big operation getting stallions to shuttle to and from north hemisphere and the southern hemisphere um there's a lot of quarantine involved both directions it's a lot harder to go down to australia than it is to come home and there's a lot of paperwork involved and a lot of guys that work for a lot of big stallion farms that do all this the breeding season in australia and the Southern Hemisphere starts on the 1st of September. But a lot of the big farms like the Stallions down a month or so before that. So usually once the season winds up in Europe, kind of end of June time, July, they have to do a two-week quarantine in the UK or Ireland. And then they travel down and do another two-week quarantine in Australia, usually to arrive around middle of August. So it can be shown to clients and prospective breeders before they start their job down there. And just tell me a little bit about the, the physical work that needs to take place with the stallions. Um, clearly, we're, we're used to racehorses being able to travel and then run and maintain a level of fitness. Um, presumably, there's quite a lot of work you have to do with the, with the stallions as well. We do a lot of work during the season with their fitness, especially here at Dalham. All our horses get walked, the busy horses. Um, it was pretty good for them that the quarantine allows them to have a little bit of downtime in between shuttling. It's quite a lot for uh, especially these young stallions to cover big numbers, both in North and South Hemispheres, Southern Hemispheres. So it's pretty good for them actually to have a little bit of downtime in the middle. Uh, there's a lot of swabbing and bloods and things like that involved to make sure they're all disease free, which I've never known one not to be, but it's all the legal side of travelling the horses down there. And you, you spent nine years in, in Australia with, with Coolmore before taking on your, your current role. How would you, you compare 
the way a, a stallion station operates in Australia to Europe? Is it is it broadly the same, or or, or, or is it quite different? The biggest difference, I think, is in. In the southern hemisphere, we have a lot shorter breeding season, so it's actually a little bit more work for the stallions down there just to get through their books in a time to get back before Christmas. It's it's important. Fertility is always great when they're really fertile horses. It makes it a lot easier. We have to just be careful managing numbers. If they cover big books in both hemispheres after a couple of years, they can get a bit tired and a bit burnt out from covering a lot of mares which happens to a lot of stallions that do shuttle but we manage that by making sure they're well looked after well fed very fit and in the best health they can be to do the jobs so tell me a little bit about the four that have come back palace pier pinatubo tudan hot and harry angel all wonderful racehorses in their in their different ways it was palace pier's first time down under and pinatubo's even though even though he'd already had a couple of seasons here how did they go down We'll have an exciting few years ahead here at Darley Godolphin with a lot of these young sires on the roster. Uh, Palace Pier, he covered a good number of high-quality mares last year, so we're expecting his first foals in the next couple of months. Pinatubo, he has his first foals this year, so he'll have yearlings coming up in 2023. Tudan Hot will have his first runners this year, so he had the highest price of any first crop sire at book one and two we also have in ireland diath space blues earthlight massar and blue point here massar's here blue point in ireland all young stallions so it's quite an exciting time to see them all in the next couple of years have runners and it must be interesting for you watching how the the stallions progress in their in in their respective hemispheres and and that some get off to a great start here and less so in australia others get off to a fantastic start in australia and and less so here um, Harry Angel was the fourth stallion we were mentioning. He's got off to a, an unbelievable start in Australia. Harry Angel's first runner in Australia was a stakes winner. Um, he's doing really well down there. He's also doing pretty well in this hemisphere. He had 21st crop winners with his star performer obviously being the second in the Jim Crack Marshman, who went off favourite for the middle park. Uh, and Max... Uh, clearly, you spend a, an awful lot of time in close proximity to these horses. Is there one that you've become particularly particularly attached to? Um, not so much. Um, the way we work it here at Dallam Hall is a lot of the stallion men that work here and women that work here, uh, they all look after their own horses. But as I'm the head stallion man, I kind of don't have a horse as such. I look after all of theirs on their days off. So... It's a little less personal for me with one particular horse. Obviously, everybody will always have favourites when they come into the yard. and We're very lucky. They're a very nice bunch of stallions. There's no badness in any of them. And they're all a pretty nice bunch of horses. All right. Thank you to Max. To all my guests today, Lee Bodstead still with me. has a tip for you for this afternoon. He does indeed. He's going to Taunton, the 223, the Rowcliffe's maiden hurdle. Some big yards represented in this one. I am going to go with a horse trained by Chris Gordon, ridden by Aidan Coleman, called Cave Legend. Yet to run over hurdles, unlike some of the horses he's facing in this race, but uh, was a very impressive winner of a Stratford bumper and then ran encouragingly enlisted bumper at Cheltenham's November meeting. That, I think, is a springboard for him to do well over hurdles and therefore tipping Cave Legend in the 223 at Taunton. 
Lee, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, December the 21st. We'll be back to do it again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.